from KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm reporter Hannah Mersbach. And I'm news director Tyler Pratt. Ukrainian refugees are calling Jackson home while they wait for the war to end. But for some, leaving their country meant growing their families. We have two kids. We think about third, if that can like save our family too. We'll hear more about Freedom Babies later in the show. Also, a comedy company is bringing their shows to Jackson and other small towns across the U.S. We would just look at a map and say, like, this is a good day's worth of a drive. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. KHOL is in the midst of a year-long effort in our community to bring strangers with different political beliefs together for a conversation. This is part of a nationwide initiative led by StoryCorps that seeks to mend political divisions and find common ground. KHOL is one of five stations participating in this effort around the country this year. KHOL Executive Director Emily Cohen spoke with producer Allison Sperry about the initiative. Despite the premise, the purpose of these conversations is not to debate politics. Yet you are intentionally pairing people with different opinions and beliefs on politics or religion, the things we aren't supposed to talk about in polite conversation. So what is discussed in a one-small-step conversation? People first get acquainted with their backgrounds and their roles in the community. We talk about the people in their lives that have shaped them and the moments in their lives that have shaped what they believe. Sometimes that leans into directly what they believe politically or what they believe in spiritually. How are you getting there in the conversation? StoryCorps has been doing this project for a couple years now and provided me with some best practices, including questions that are open-ended, questions that I share with each of our participants at the same time. I'm there to facilitate which questions when. And so some of those questions are, what was your motivation for signing up for this? Uh, Where people get into missing a connection with people across the aisle, missing a sense of diverse perspectives in their lives, and wanting to bring more of that in. Um, So we're already opening the door to the differences. And then we really lean into like who they are and the events in their lives that have shaped them. Who are the people who have influenced you? What are the moments in your life that really shaped your beliefs? And we talk about other questions like, what are issues in this community that are important to you? Do you ever feel misunderstood by people on the other side? And do you ever feel misunderstood by people on your own side? To really tease out where we think we have this homogenous uh, viewpoint that's that's like a group think, and everyone is so much more individualistic and more nuanced than that. Through that, people are finding their commonalities. So we've had dozens of people express interest in participating in One Small Step. How do you decide who to pair? I kind of feel like I'm playing matchmaker here. I'm looking for ways where people have some common ground inherently, whether it's 
growing up in the Midwest or coming from a military family, I call up every person after they've signed up and talk with them for at least 30 minutes to get to know what's important to them so that I can find someone with the same passion for that issue, but who sees it from a different perspective. So have any conversations stuck with you? There have definitely been some moments where I swear, if I really was a matchmaker, like people would be falling in love right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there have been some really beautiful moments of connection and some really sticky moments of disagreement, too. And people are limited to just the hour that we have together. And in those sticky moments, there's there's a there's a foot going in and there's a foot coming out. How how deep into that disagreement do you get in that moment? We want to end things on a hopeful note, a a reflective note. I often ask people to ask each other, what will you take away from this conversation? And people are exchanging numbers at the end. Um, They want to continue the conversation and maybe even grow a friendship from this. Yeah, it's just one small step. These conversations last about an hour and some are going to be edited for a radio broadcast. We're going to hear snippets from a recent conversation that you recorded. Tell us about who we are going to be hearing from today. I'm excited to share with you one of these conversations between Mary Martin, who's been living in the Valley for 40 some years. She's very involved in the Catholic Church. She's a leader in our community who was the driving force behind what is now the Senior Center and Pioneer Homestead, programs for senior citizens here in Teton, Lincoln, and Fremont counties. And she is the president of the Teton County GOP. And I sat her down with Ray Seurig, who's only been here for a few years. She has a background in social work, just like Mary, and she works as a therapist Um, They both grew up in conservative and religious small towns in the Midwest, but Ray's children and life experiences shaped her political views to become more liberal. They immediately connected over sewing because Ray brought in a tiny little dress she had sewn for one of her daughters decades ago. We're going to dive into the part in the conversation where they're asking each other about their political values. I have come to see that equality and equity aren't necessarily the same. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I think we should have equal opportunity, but not. we need to work. I've been working since as long as I can remember. I'm willing to teach a man to fish so he can feed himself. That's kind of like a hard love approach to social issues. But And I do know that there are those that do need to be taken care of. When I started um, the Senior Citizen Meal Program, in three counties. At that time, the seniors didn't think they needed it, didn't want it, don't need a government handout. That was very much Wyoming's attitude. But they needed the social. Their mates were dying, their friends were dying, and they weren't eating. So when I see what the senior centers have become as a cherished organization in Teton, Lincoln, and Fremont County, where I started them, that is... I don't want to say it's something I'm proud of, but it's something that makes my heart happy. So I, I believe we need to work together to take care of each other. We have a sense of taking care of ourselves, but I fundamentally believe family, faith, and our country, and that we need to have the ability to have our own enterprises and private solutions to public problems. 
I don't believe that conservatives and liberals are actually that different. I think we agree that there are problems. I think what we disagree on is how to solve for those problems. But I think we all agree on the value of, you know, family, faith. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I was a Christian, my then husband and father of my kids and I agreed there should be no prayer in school because people pray different ways. You know, some people say in Jesus' name, some say amen, some people have prayer led for them. And then what about, you know, the Jewish children? What about the Muslim children? What about the Baha'i children? Um, So who's going to decide that? But what we agreed on is that education, there was something missing in focusing only on learning facts. Where's the sense of community? You know, where can we provide that? So I I see that even though I use different words than you did, what I heard is concern for making decisions for myself, right? But also needing that that protection. Another thing that I think shifted for me was when I needed to go back to school, I needed student loans. I couldn't afford to just write a check. That wasn't going to happen for me. Um, I qualified for a Pell Grant. And when I went back and looked at the history, I discovered that the political party that I had been so deeply invested in did not have a history of making sure that I, or at the time my four daughters, could have access to education, or have a checking account, or drive, or own a home, or have a credit card, um, to have independence. Now, they came to support that in many ways, but they didn't initiate it, and they certainly resisted it. And I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? The things that I need, I have fought against. There are problems, and people are arguing about the solutions to those problems, when I think if we focused on identifying where we agree, we agree that there are challenges, we agree that there are difficulties, I think that's where we begin, you know? And my observation of you today is that we're actually much more similar than we are different. There's so much similarity here. That's why I brought that dress in when I read your bio. I was like, we could have been in the same little town, you know? You could have taught me to sew. That could have easily been you. And I could see that it could easily have been you when I could have said, Ray, we have to do something to help seniors. Yes. They're isolated, they're alone. We as a community need to address that. Yes. It's been a delight to meet you and know about you. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah, thank you. That was Teton County Republican Party Chair Mary Martin and Ray Surig, who's progressive. They were chatting as a part of the One Small Step Initiative, To sign up to have one of these conversations across the aisle, visit 891KHOL.org. Millions of refugees have left Ukraine since the war began, and some are seeking safety in Jackson and joining a growing Eastern European community in the region. KHOL's Hannah Mersbach spent time with one family who was acclimating to life in the Mountain West and their freedom baby, made it possible to keep them together and safe. Nestled between lush green hills and surrounded by sky-high sunflowers, Tamora Zizov sits on the back patio of a home south of Jackson. Dogs run and play in the yard near Game Creek. The serene summer scene is much different than what Zizov experienced in Ukraine for over a year. 
I think it's like 10 bombs they drop it in our town. He says when his family first got here, they were often scared when they heard the sounds of planes overhead. Because for last year, we like understand if you hear something in the sky, you need to hide somewhere. Aziz and his family are from Khorostan, a small city close to the border with Belarus, a close Russian ally. They've been in Jackson for just a few months. Sometimes we dream about to come to the U.S., but like a tourist and not, not like this reason, you know. When you go somewhere when you don't want it, it's hard. But all in our minds it's about our kids and safety, our kids' safety. But it was near impossible to leave Ukraine with his family. The country is under martial law as the war rages on. Here's his cousin, Inez Brunson, who he's living with now. So men between the ages of 18 and 60 aren't legally allowed to leave the country. They're supposed to stay and fight. At first, Azizov's wife and two young kids went to Poland, but he couldn't get across the border. They were separated for two months. But they went back in and then found out that a loophole is that if he was a man that had three children of his own lineage. So that's why we have a five-month-old living with us right now. Bronson says they're called freedom babies. And according to Azizov, having a third child has helped many Ukrainian families escaping the war stay together. Like, uh, we have two kids. We think about third. So if, if that can, like, save our family, too. For me, it's uh, more population of Ukrainian people. <laughs> Once their third child, Olivia, was born, there were still many challenges to getting to the U.S., like days of travel across Eastern Europe, only with a couple of small suitcases. And Azizov's cousin, Inez Brunson, says it took about 15 pages of paperwork per family member to help get them over. Our extended family had to pay for their tickets here, several thousand dollars for all of them to get over here. She says they had a lot of relatives in Ukraine who they were trying to help get out. And it was a bit easier at the start of the war. The first wave of family were able to come here completely free to our expense because there were so many donations. This second round was definitely a bit different because people stopped caring, people stopped donating. Azizov and his family aren't the only Ukrainian refugees in Jackson right now. His aunt, Olga Needham, says there are about 20 of them who all came over because they have family in the region. And they're joining a growing community of Eastern Europeans, like many Moldovans and Romanians, who've come for summer jobs and end up staying, as many Jackson businesses rely on tourism and are constantly in need of workers. But Needham says Eastern Europeans didn't always flock here. I was first 27 years ago. <laughs> Needham was born in Kyrgyzstan, she spent 12 years traveling the world as a trapeze artist, and then came to Jackson to teach gymnastics. Why'd she say? Oh, just life, husband, <laughs> kids. My daughter was born here. Job and beauty remind me Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, mountain, yeah, so similar. Her daughter, 26-year-old Inez Brunson, says growing up in one of the most remote areas of the U.S., her family stood out. People called me the Russian, and um, it wasn't like necessarily incorrect because my mom is half and half, which made the war really weird. She's half Ukrainian, half Russian. And now she and her mom have a full house. So my husband said, next time we buy one bedroom home. I'm like, okay. <laughs> There's currently nine people living in the five bedroom house. Upstairs, Azizov's two older kids share a bedroom with his mother, Olga Needham's sister, who also came over from Ukraine. 
She sleeps on a cot in the corner. And they're living with a lot of dogs, too. Somebody tell me, six dogs, six refugees. It's dog therapeutic for each member family. Yeah. Azizov has been working at the Jackson Hole Airport for a car rental company, sometimes 15-hour days. He's a photographer by trade, but says he's just doing what he needs to for his family. And he wants a more permanent housing situation, but says most places in the area are too expensive. He may consider moving to Idaho Falls and doing the two-hour commute to Jackson. So I think, okay, if, if another people can do it, why I'm not? need to wake up early. Another barrier, his wife and kids don't speak English, and it's been hard getting the children into schools. But, as he's often his aunt say, the first and third graders will just have to learn the language. Without English, it's very hard, but they hopefully they catch faster. You know. They have a choice. <laughs> like they, they need to do this. Jackson residents have helped the family, donating clothes and toys for the kids. Churches and nonprofits have given them gift cards for groceries and gas. And Azizov's aunt recently held a fundraiser at a local dance studio. That money went towards getting them a car. Azizov says he's hopeful the war will end and the family will be able to return to Ukraine soon. But for now... This is beautiful. Everybody's smiling. <laughs> Everybody say hi, you know, and... Uh, it's nice. It's it's different. Like and but we understand it's safety, fresh air. <laughs> Surrounded by the sounds of aspens blowing in the wind, Azizov's two older kids jump on a trampoline. They're no longer afraid of the planes that fly overhead. And five month old Olivia sleeps soundly, cradled in a stroller. Azizov says growing their family was just another way to adjust to life. Every time after Wars every time start the baby boom. It's every time happening. So we started a little bit early. <laughs> Hannah Mersbach, K12 News. Support for Jackson Unpacked comes from 122 Resource Center, guiding members of our community towards stability and growth by providing financial assistance, food access, emergency resources, financial education, and economic independence. That's what we're here for. More information at 122jh.org. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Jackson Unpacked is generously sponsored by the Snake River Sporting Club. At nearly 1,000 acres, this private Western community accesses the Snake River and Bridger Teton National Forest. Not to mention a golf course, equestrian center, and fully functioning ranch. More information about excursions, amenities, and lifestyle at snakeriversportingclub.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Hannah Mersbach. A new comedy series is bringing touring stand-ups to Jackson Hole. Caitlin and Maxwell Benson are the creators of the monthly Can't Even Comedy series at the Cloudvale Hotel. K-12 Executive Director Emily Cohen spoke with the Austin, Texas-based couple ahead of a recent performance about this new niche in the local entertainment scene. 
You guys are doing comedy in some unusual places. Most of the comedy scene in the U.S. is obviously centered in Los Angeles and New York. But your whole M.O. with this endeavor with Can't Even Comedy is to bring comedy to small towns across America. How did you conceive of this idea? A lot of it started like when we made our transition to Austin. Like we were trying to come up with tour routes from LA to Austin so that we could travel with our dogs. We would just look at a map and say like, this is this is a good day's worth of a drive. And the more we reached out to people, that's sort of when we realized how much of a demand there was for it in these smaller towns. And how much more appreciated the art form is when you're bringing it to places where they don't just have access to it. How have those audiences differed? They actually, what happens is the fir- when we do the first show in the smaller communities, it becomes a hardcore group that feel like they found a little secret. And then from there, they're not only excited, but they usually come back to the next show with five or six friends on top of that. They try to find us better accommodations for comics for stay. If we need to change a venue, they're actively there working with us. Like they almost become a part of our company in some essence. One of the things is a comic doing LA, because that's where I started. I did my first seven years in Los Angeles. Not only is the comedy scene super saturated and on any given night, you can just go see a showcase lineup of like every major national touring headliner. But the town itself is comprised of a lot of people who are in the entertainment business. So you'll get a lot of audience members that are just hypercritical of what you're doing. So there's very little wiggle room to like explore. So going into these smaller towns, the audience, they don't know the art. They just know what they like and what they don't like. As a performer, it gives you a, it gives you better, more honest feedback on what you're doing uh and it's usually way more fun because i mean those people will come up to you and just be like it's amazing that you're just talking you're like great <laughs> like i'll just keep doing that then so you have a show coming up on tuesday august 29th can you tell us about who's going to be performing yeah we have uh, our headliner is shang she has been on pretty much every major network you can think of. She's an industry veteran for almost 20 plus years, from originally from New York, toured all over the world, opened up for Russell Peters in stadiums. Like, and then uh, we also are bringing, of course, Caitlin will be there. And then we're bringing um, a lesser known comic named Chris Green that we discovered in Los Angeles, actually at an open mic that we were running. And we didn't know for the first three years, but he was so committed to his craft that he was literally driving five hours a day just to five hours one way, way to come to our mic. From Sacramento. From Sacramento, Los Angeles. So this is the third installment of a series that you've had here in Jackson at the Cloudville Hotel this summer. What has that been like? And what have you seen and heard from audiences? What are you hoping for in the evolution of the Jackson whole comedy scene? We're getting like 99% locals, which is so good. And our first show, we had like 55 people, and then we doubled it to 110. It was primarily word of mouth. How did you get into comedy, Caitlin? I was working in LA. I was doing a lot of like workshops for new plays in their theater district. And trying to be a theater actress in Los Angeles is not super fun 
because you'll develop a role and then last minute they'll just give your part away to someone who did two episodes on The Office. And so I was just kind of like at a place where I was frustrated and I wanted to, I want I was a comedic actress. And I was like, I want to like do this, but like I'm tired of having to rely on other people. And then oddly enough, my mentor and my dad were like, you need to try stand up. My, my mentor at the time was like, you're not just funny. You also have something to say. And that's the difference between a comic and a comedic actress. And so I took like a a small course that just taught me like basic joke structure. And from there, I just, I started. It just came, it came at a frustration of needing to rely on other people to get done what I wanted to get done. That was Caitlin and Maxwell Benson talking about their monthly comedy series, Can't Even. If you missed their last show, their next one is September 24th at the Cloudvale Hotel. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Tyler Pratt. And I'm Hannah Mersbach. And this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.